Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, we're going to be chatting with author and brain injury survivor, Carol Starr. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in the Twin Cities. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hi, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. You can also find all of our archived podcasts on my website as well. So today's guest, I'm so excited. She has become a good friend over the past few years. We have Carol Starr. Carol's life changed forever in 1999 when she sustained a brain injury in a car accident. She was unable to continue her life as a teacher and amateur musician. It took Carol many years to accept her brain injury and the new person she became. She has reinvented herself by focusing on what she can do, and she's now an inspiring keynote speaker, the author of To Root and To Rise, Accepting Brain Injury, and the founder and facilitator of Brain Injury Voices, an award-winning survivor education, advocacy, and peer mentoring volunteer group. So, Carol, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be talking to you today. So, Carol and I have gotten to know each other over the past year or two. Um, We met in Washington, D.C. at Brain Injury Awareness Day, and she is a fellow member on the Brain Injury Advisory Council. So it's been great getting to know you, and it'll be fun to have you here today. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Your, your morning, my so Carol, afternoon. why don't you – yes, yes, the time zones. <laughs> um, so, Carol, why don't you start by giving our listeners your background of how you um, – how you came to be where we are today, um, you had a car accident in 1999. So why don't you tell yes. us a little bit about how that journey has been? Sure. It has been a very long journey. I, I just passed 18 years um, a, a couple weeks ago, and I, basically my brain injury can vote now. Um, and in 1999, <laughs> I was 32 years old. I was, I, was, I was teaching. I was working full-time. I was, as a teacher, I, I used to um, to teach classes and organizations. I was a musician, I was a violinist, and I was a singer. And life felt like it was going on, you know, pretty well. And 
I, then in, in, on July 6, 1999, I was broadsided on the driver's side by a 19-year-old stock car driver going about 50 miles an hour, and that's what caused my brain injury. And at first, I didn't know that I had a brain injury. It took about six weeks for that to be diagnosed for me. Um, when I went to the emergency room, they asked me if I remembered everything, and I, I told them I did, but it turns out I really didn't. Um, my head hurt, but I, I didn't know to tell them that. But there were there were signs of my brain injury that were that were evident then, but I didn't even know it. It was actually the first mm-hmm. physical therapist I saw who re- recognized that there was more going on for me than than just whiplash, you know, from this from this accident, and and I didn't really understand what a mild traumatic brain injury meant. I figured it was just minor. I you know. I'd, I was more interested in, in healing the whiplash because I couldn't sit, sit up for any length of time for quite a while. Um, but it was when it was about six weeks, you know, six to eight, eight, six to eight weeks later, when I was trying to go back to work, that was when a lot of the problems really became apparent. Um, when I would try and teach for two hours, I'd be on the couch for two days. Afterwards, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember my. I thought they were new every time they walked in the door. I would stick them in groups to do things and just leave them there because I didn't know what else to do. I remember looking at my own lesson plan, and it was like somebody else wrote it. And I just couldn't understand why everything suddenly got so difficult. I was also really sound sensitive. For a long time, I was convinced that that the airport had changed the flight pattern of the planes because every time (laughs) the plane went over, I would duck because it sounded to me like it was coming right at me. I was on the verge of calling the airport and complaining. I'm kind of glad now I didn't do that. I really <laughs> didn't. That's kind of strange. Um, but it turns out my injury has left me with hyperacusis, insane sound sensitivity. Um, when I tried to go back to my music rehearsals, I lasted only a few minutes uh, before the sound reduced me to tears. I, I ran from the room. I couldn't even remember how to how to get home. Somebody had to drive me home from oh, from a wow. rehearsal. And. I didn't understand for a long time why I couldn't just push my way through it. You know, I've always been somebody who uh-huh. believed that, well, just harder. You know, make it go away. And the more I tried, the worse everything got. Um, and it, it took about a year before I ended up in, in an outpatient brain injury rehab program. And I will tell you, that was the worst year of my life. Because I just tried and I failed over and over and over again to go back to my work, to go back to to music, to function in the world. Um, I struggled with with maintaining my house and doing my cooking. Um, you know, I would I couldn't figure out how to figure out my meal plans. I don't know why, but I got focused on cottage cheese, so I ate cottage cheese most nights. <laughs> um, I also, for some reason, at the grocery store every time I went, I thought that I needed Italian dressing and barbecue sauce. I think in my mind I thought I was going to marinate things. I think that's what I thought. But I couldn't remember every time I went that I had that, that I already had that, so I had a whole shelf full of Italian <laughs> dressing. <laughs> it took me years to get through all that stuff that I bought. Um, uh, and I, it the was struggle so, is real. <laughs> now, but at the time it was, it was bewildering. Why I it is. It's so bewildering. And it wasn't until I got into brain injury rehab that I started to understand a little bit more about mild traumatic brain injury and what some of the the symptoms that I was having 
were and why everything was so challenging. But I believe for about five years that I am going to get back to normal. I am going to make a full recovery. Mm-hmm. And and that did not happen for me, that I still live with brain injury symptoms to this day. I'm definitely much better than I was at one year, two years, five years, ten years. Um, but, you know, I still deal with it every single day. You know, and I think you touched on something that I think is so important, and you said it took six weeks to even be diagnosed. And I think that's so common in car accidents. You know, like you walked out of your car and you were talking and you, you know, you were able to walk and talk and you seemed fine. And I can't remember, did you even go to the emergency room? Yes, I was taken by ambulance to the emergency room. So you did go to the ER. But it's like, you know, it's so common that people in car accidents are never, like, even considered. Or, you know, and I get it that, like, your concussions and brain injury symptoms don't necessarily show up right away. It can take a few days or a few weeks. Um, But, you know, like, to be able to communicate with someone, like, watch for this and there's a good chance you have a a brain injury or, you know, like it's just, it's so overlooked in in car accidents unless you've been in a severe accident. And what I wish people had asked me, and I I talk about this now when I talk to to medical providers or or, or students in the medical field is the kind of questions that you ask matters. If somebody had asked me, what do you Mm -hmm. remember? I would have elicited the fact that (laughs) I didn't remember as much as I thought I did. Um, yeah. Does your head hurt? But because no, nobody asked me that directly, and I, in my concussed state, yeah. didn't know that I should tell them that. Right. Um, nobody, nobody asked me that. Um, yes. So you know that's those so early, true. And, early, and you know, they, know what you don't know. Questions matter. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And you know, basically, they've determined if you have whiplash you have had a brain injury because the way the force that it takes to cause whiplash, that same force causes your brain to basically make impact with your skull. So even if you didn't hit your head on anything, you can still have a brain injury. And I think that's just been so overlooked, and I'm so glad that we're shedding light on that nowadays. Oh, yes, me too. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but it's definitely oh, yes. <laughs> awareness is building, most definitely. Yeah. So, Carol, I have your book in front of me, and I really enjoyed your book. And I, you know, so I feel like I even know you better than I did, you know, six months ago. Um, you talk about in your book how throughout your brain recovery, you journaled. And you're so thankful that you did journal. Can you talk a little bit about journaling? Sure. Um, I was a I was a journaler before my injury. Before my injury, I had gone like more than a year. I didn't miss a day writing. And then after my injury, writing got really challenging, and I couldn't journal like I did before. I would go months and months and months without writing anything, but the desire to write about the experience was still there. So I did little bits and pieces. Um, sometimes it was only a couple of sentences was all I could manage before the fatigue would take over. Sometimes it was a few paragraphs. 
Um, a lot of times it was on sort of scrap pieces of paper that I forgot to date. I stuffed them in a folder. I was very accustomed to saving everything that I wrote, and I'm glad that I did that um, because it helped me in writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but writing for me was a way to to process my experience. And at the time, I remember being really down on myself because I couldn't write the way that I used to. But now I realize that it doesn't matter, that what matters is that I, yeah. I, found, a, I found a way to do what I could do, even if it was less than what I had done before. Because brain injury is such a, a huge, life-altering experience that it takes so much time to process it that I think we need a way to process it. And that could be journaling for somebody. That could be taking pictures you know, for another person. That could be making an audio recording. There are so many different ways. You know, for people to process yeah. the experience. Because, you know, when you get your life ripped from you, you, you don't just go say, okay, oh, well, and off on your merry way you go. It takes a lot of time to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, I don't know if you can specifically remember, but how long would you say it took you to come to terms with it? Eight years. It took me about eight, eight years was when I really when I felt like I really reached full acceptance of it, and it wasn't like it was like a light bulb kind of thing. It was a gradual process that mm-hmm. it, yep. it took five years for me to accept that I wasn't going to get my old life back, um, and that was a that was a really big um, piece of it for me was turning my attention away from getting the old Carol back and towards who is this new Carol, and how do I build a life with, with her? Um, and then then it was about stopping fighting against my symptoms, not being so upset when they happen, when they run yeah. my life. Because for years I would just kind of rail against them whenever I would get tired, whenever sound would overwhelm me, or I couldn't do something. I would feel so awful about it. And it took it, was, it wasn't until about eight years that – that sort of peace calmed down for me. And, you know, I still don't like it when brain injury symptoms rule my life, but I can laugh about it. <laughs> I can roll with it and say, okay, my couch and I are going to spend some time together uh, for a while yes. until brain comes back to me. And I don't like it, but I know that that's the way that it is. And I accept it and I, I roll with it versus fighting against it. That's, and that's you know, I know do. this year, this past this this past March, you gave a keynote, um, I believe it was at Maryland Con- the Maryland conference, and it was a few days after Brain Injury Awareness Day at the Capitol. And so you chose not to come this year to the Capitol because you knew yeah. that you needed that energy to give your keynote. And mm-hmm. you know, that Hard is a sense. huge part yeah, that's a huge part of the the acceptance and the learning how to deal with your symptoms. Um, and, you know, I'm very similar. I know if I go to Washington, D.C., I'm going to need a week when I come home to just be able to chill and not have to do anything, you know, over anything overstimulating when I get home. Um, you know, and that was probably a really hard decision for you, too, to not go to the Capitol. Yes, because I'm oh, I'm in Maryland. I'm right there. 
I was like, it's, it's, I know. I, do? <laughs> I, I, I talked to my family and friends, people that I trust, because I knew what the answer was, and, but it would help yeah. me to get the opinions of other people who know me well, who said, Carol, don't you dare <laughs> try that. Yeah. That's going to, that will, that will set you back. That's not good for you, you know, to do. Um, if it been, if it had been the other way around, if the the keynote had been first and then brain injury awareness day, that I might have tried, but it was it was the exact opposite right. in terms mm-hmm. of the beginning. Um, that that I knew I knew that I needed to you know my energy for the keynote was the most important thing, um, and that's what I needed to. You know I know I know sometimes when I give presentations, um, either a support group or a conference, sometimes I actually go and hide. For a little while, um, because, you know, everybody wants to talk to you, and mm-hmm. it's so incredibly draining to talk and to listen to other people. They want to share their story with you. And, it, it, they, you know, it's, sometimes I think I worry that I come across as rude because I, I'm just like, oh, my God, I just I can't listen to this right now. I have to give my presentation in an hour um, because you really need all that energy. Mm-hmm in order yep, to I, give a 45-minute presentation. Mm-hmm, yeah, I, I did that at my book launch a couple of weeks ago because I was I was signing books and stuff, <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized I am feeling my brain. Um, and so I excused myself for like 15 minutes before I was going to talk um, because I knew that I needed a little bit of alone time. And a couple of, couple of my friends and mm-hmm. family came up to me and said, uh, are you sure you want to be doing this right up until when you talk? And and they were right. Um, yeah, because it is. It it, it you know, yeah. speaking is wonderful, and I love doing it, and I want to you know, continue to do more of it. But it does. As a brain injury survivor, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I also and have we have to, to just really learn time. the balance. Yes. And you know, and I still goof. I mean, I was I was in in Canada with my two best friends from college last month because we all turned fifty this year, and and I goofed in terms of I underestimated how tired I would be coming back, and I mm-hmm. I did too I did too much like for a couple of days after I got back, and I earned myself a week on the couch because I just <laughs> I over I didn't I didn't allot quite enough time of resting after the trip was done. Um, you know, and so even though I'm 18 years out, I still, sometimes I don't do the right thing. Um, but I can laugh at it. I didn't like it, but I could laugh at it. Yeah, I, watch I agree. I'm, I'm in a similar boat. Um, so Carol, your book, To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury, um, the thing I noticed right away about the book is it is, I can tell you were a teacher. You were in education. Um, and I'm assuming that was very intentional. Um, yes. You have places for people to write, like you have questions and answers that people can do. You have little exercises for them to do. Um, take me through your process of how you, like this book has been a work in progress for basically 18 years. So take me through your process of how you decided to make it the way you made it. Um, you know, like you even say specifically, you don't have to read this book in order. You can skip around, choose what chapters you want to work on. Um, 
so take me through that a little bit and what and how you came to that um, process. Sure. Well, I started writing the book at, at around the, the fifth year after my after my injury, and I knew from the very start that I wanted to honor the teacher that I still am. That I knew that I wanted to have questions at the end. That I wanted to to use my story to help other people, and I wanted to give people the opportunity to to think about their own story. Um, my my graduate degree is in adult education, and that's very much what my graduate degree was in, was about helping people to to find their own story, to to find their own journey. And so I wanted my my book to honor that adult education part of me, and that's that's why the the workbook piece of it. Um, originally, it was just going to be questions at the end of each chapter, and then a member of my writing group suggested, "Oh, why don't you put lines after?" each one of the the questions and make it into a true workbook, which was a a fantastic idea. And I also knew from the beginning that it was going to be essays that were relatively short because I know I have struggled with reading since my injury. Mm -hmm. I don't read full-length books anymore because I find it hard to focus my attention for that long, so I forget what I've read. Um, It gets hard to to focus on one, one line at a time kind of thing. So I wanted to make it as friendly for brain injury survivors as possible. And so I figured, well, if it was individual essays, then people could read just what they want to read, that they don't have to to read the entire book in order to make sense of the whole thing, that they can read just Mm -hmm. whatever they need, whatever speaks to them and wherever wherever they are in their journey, that I put the chapters in an order that made sense to me, so the, the book works both ways. People can read it in order, but they can also read it however they want to, kind of look at the table of contents and say, this is where I am. I'm going to start here. Um, so each chapter stands alone. Because I wanted as much as possible for people with brain injuries to not feel overwhelmed when they looked at my book. That's why the type is a little bit bigger than most books. There's a lot of white space to to make it feel doable. Because I know as a survivor, so much of the world feels feel so undoable, feels so overwhelming because of all the issues that we deal with that I wanted my book to feel accessible for people. And yes, I, really, and I, I it, would definitely say you accomplished that. I mean, it is. It's, it's very easy to read. Um, you have your witty humor, um, I can I can feel your humor tied in throughout the book too, and I, I enjoy that aspect. That you know, humor is so important. If we can't laugh, you know, life would be really really boring. <laughs> so it makes me so happy to see you integrate your humor into the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, because because I can laugh about a lot of it now. Um, and I definitely wanted to to write a book of of wisdom. And it, it took me, I think one of the reasons it took me so long to write it was, number one, brain injury, and number two, it, it takes time to develop wisdom. So it takes time to be able to, to look back at an experience and to say, well, what are the lessons in there? What worked? What didn't work? Um, that To get perspective on it. That usually when you're, going, when you're in the midst of something, when I was in the midst of, trying to learn how to accept this, you don't have any perspective. You can't. 
because you're in the midst of it. But you know, I can look back now at my acceptance journey and say, okay, I have perspective. I can see the patterns. And that's one thing that I have always mm-hmm. liked to do as a teacher. I like to see patterns in things. I like to look back and say, okay, how did that happen? What was the pattern? And how can I use that to help somebody else who's maybe earlier on in their journey? And that kind of leads me to my next question is your Brain Injury Voices um, Support and Awareness Group. Um, When did you and how did you come about creating this group? Well, uh, my mentor, Bev Bryant, and I founded it together back in 2010. And we founded it because the support group that we were running at, um, at New England Rehab Hospital in Portland we noticed that there were people in that support group who had really grown beyond needing support, and they were ready to offer it to mm-hmm. others. And my mentor, Bev, she had run a group like Voices um, back in the 90s, and so she mentored me through founding it. Um, I probably never would have founded it just on my own, but because I had Bev there kind of beside me, um, that we just and all we did was we, we put out a, a notice in the support group. We're forming this group. If you're interested in doing education and advocacy, peer mentoring, come to this meeting. And nine people showed up. And it and it grew awesome. from there. Um, and it's really been absolutely amazing what survivors working together can do. I mean, this podcast, that's, that's a great example of what survivors working together can do. That as a group, we, we volunteer about 2,500 hours a year, um, for the book launch, I just put together our statistics. Over the last seven years, we have volunteered 14,600 hours. Um, wow, one- that's amazing. Um, peer mentoring sessions, done 144 presentations. We won a National Volunteer Award. We raised about $20,000 for various brain injury-related causes. Um, and most of us can't work anymore, but working together, we can, we can do something mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Um, and we don't we we take our time. We don't do anything fast because we're brain injury survivors. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We we do things on a professional level, but not a professional time frame is the way I always put it. That we we, we practice yeah. our patients, um, and we support one another, and you know we can we can make a difference. You know here here in Maine and working at making a difference in other other places. And for me, you know, I was 32 when I had my accident. So with time in graduate school, I only had like six or seven years of a career. So I didn't get to build anything. And, you know, with Voices and now with the book, I get to build something. And yes. that means real to me. Yeah. That's awesome. We're, we're actually in the process where we, you know, so we can go to Brain Injury Awareness Day next March. You know, and writing a book is sort of like leaving your legacy. You know, it'll be around beyond you, you know. And yeah. I just, it's it's just such a cool accomplishment. And I'm so proud of you for your book and for all your advocacy work and everything that you do. And thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story, Carol. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed the show and gotten a golden nugget 
Um, the link to Carol's book is in the show notes. So if you are interested, it is available on Amazon, To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury. So thank you, thank you again all for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And again, be sure to visit facesoftbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and see any upcoming topics that we have coming up. We have a really great lineup coming up um, for August and September, so be sure to check those out. And just thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey, and have a great day, everyone.